But as I mentioned earlier, we're starting a new series today called Shift, and we're focusing on uh, changing kind of how we understand this perspective of what Christianity truly is, and uh, maybe confronting some ideas and thoughts that we've had, even maybe from childhood. And uh, we're going to be doing this based off of Romans 12, 1 and 2. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and pull that off, uh, pull that up uh, on your Bible or on your app, whatever you use. And we're really, over the next two weeks, focusing on two verses Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I, I, we focused on these verses for a couple of reasons. Romans, this book in the New Testament, it's kind of known as the pivotal book of the New Testament. It's kind of when the, the New Testament pivots from these stories of Jesus and the early church to these teachings of Paul and the other disciples and these letters, and it goes from stories of Christ to now how does those stories impact our lives? How are we now living that out? So Romans is this very pivotal pivotal chapter, our pivotal book in the New Testament. And, and chapter 12 is even known as kind of the pivotal book, or I can't get my words straight, the pivotal chapter in the book of Romans. It goes from this theology and theory in the first 11 chapters to now practical application in the last few chapters. And so these two verses are really the hinge of the New Testament. It's where it kind of really turns from one thing to the other, from our understanding and the history of who Christ is and how that impacts our life today. And so if we can understand these two verses, it will really help us understand as we look back at Christ and look forward to how it impacts our life. And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks is looking at these and studying these and helping us shift some thought and perspective of how we understand Christianity. Learning how to shift our lives is important. If we don't learn to shift, then we don't learn to grow. If we don't learn to make transitions, our life stalls out. It grows stagnant. We get frustrated, and regret and frustration become our primary mental focuses. We all have shift moments in our life. I remember when I first started to drive, one of the first cars I had was a manual stick shift. If you're under the age of 25 in here, I don't know if you've ever seen a car with a manual stick shift, but you actually used to have to push multiple pedals and use both hands to drive. And uh, I remember when I was learning to drive this, my dad was teaching me how to do this. And uh, we had this road in our neighborhood that had this really steep hill. And he basically said, until you can learn to start and stop on this steep hill, I'm not going to let you drive the stick shift by yourself because you're going to stall out and you're going to cause a problem. And I remember one day I'm trying to learn how to drive this thing. And I'm for the first time, like I have not stalled out. And I'm like, I think I'm burning the clutch up completely as I'm doing this. And this car behind us just starts laying on the horn. And it's like, would you go already? And my dad says, put it in park. And I was like, all right, you know, and he jumps out of the car and goes back and yells at this guy. I'm like, I'm trying to teach my son how to drive. Would you be patient for a minute and let him learn? And I'm like, all right, Dad, thank you. And uh, the car went around, and literally that day for the first time, I wanted to, at that moment, I wanted to please him more than anything. And I was like, that day for the first time, I made it up that hill without stalling. I can remember that day, and it was like this celebration of like, 
this change, this shift has happened. In my, I've literally learned how to shift gears and make things move in, in this car. And the same thing happens in our life, doesn't it? We face all kinds of things. Think about your life and the shifts that come into it, how you handle it. Think about like graduation. Just a couple weeks ago, PGA graduated from high school. That's a shift from one thing to another. What about when you get married? That's a shift from one way of life to another. When you have children, that's a shift from one way of life to another. Or maybe you're facing a new job or a health issue, dealing with a tragedy, thinking about retirement. These are all shifts in our life and how they impact us. And the truth is, if you try to move into a new area, you try to shift into a new area, and you don't change how you think or how you act, what's going to happen? You're going to fail. Think about it. If you go into marriage and you try to be a married bachelor, how good is that going to work out for you? Or you try to you become a parent and you're like, okay, this child won't change my life at all. I'm not going to do anything different in my life with this child. I'm going to sleep all night. I'm going to, I mean, it's not going to impact me. That doesn't work that way. Or if, what if you tried to go to college and you still thought and acted like a middle schooler, right? I mean, that, you wouldn't get very far in college if, that was, if you haven't shifted your thought and your perspective and your understanding. We all do that on a daily basis, and it, if we don't do that, we'll, we'll end up failing. And for many of us in this room today, when we were first introduced to Christianity, we may not have been introduced to it as this understanding it was a complete shift in our thought. For many of us, Christianity may have been this new label that we wear, like, oh, okay, I'm a, I'm a Christian now. Maybe it's just a, a new you know, kind of exterior, or maybe it's a, a new set of rules for me to follow. That's what Christianity is, that changing some old rules for some maybe better rules or different rules, or maybe it's just this cultural context we live, we live in. Like people call America a Christian nation. And so, you know, okay, I'm a Christian because I'm an American. I mean, that, and that we just talk about those kind of things, but that's not at all what scripture teaches that Christianity is. It actually teaches that it is this complete internal shift in who we are, in whose we are, in how we see the world, how we engage the world, how we view ourselves, how we view others, how we perceive God, how we submit to God, how we understand forgiveness, how we demonstrate love, how we think, how we feel, how we react, how we respond, how we operate at our very core. It is a complete shift in who we are. Complete shift in our life. It isn't how people think or view Christianity, but it, that is what it is. And that's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about. And this idea of shift, we think of it maybe as going in a new direction. Like, you know, I, you know, if you're shifting a car, you're going a new speed, you shift your focus, you go in a new direction. And that's part of what Christianity is, but it's not just shifting our thoughts and our focus. The idea is also boils down to what Scripture teaches is this is that it's a shift in actually who you are. You become a new creation, the Bible says. Because the old has passed away, we are new. We are made new. It even uses the word like born again, that we are brand new. We start over. The old has passed away, and we literally become, it says, joint heirs with Christ. We become sons of God. Sons of God. That, that's this incredible thought that it's not just a new direction, new set of rules, a new label. We literally become sons of God. 
So let's jump into the scripture this morning and see how it helps us to understand this shift actually playing out in our life. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, let me read these two verses to us. It says this. This is Paul talking to the church in Rome, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You, you know, when, I, when you read these two verses, especially maybe when I've, heard, when I've heard them taught before, it sure sounds like, doesn't it, that we have a lot to do in these two verses to make this shift happen in our life. We have to work to make God happy, to earn our salvation, to secure our place in eternity. Think of these words. Appeal, present your bodies, sacrifice, be holy, be acceptable, conform, transform, be good, be perfect. It seems like this overwhelming task. But I want you to understand that that's not what these verses teach at all. God's, you know, we, we look at this and we get this idea that, you know, God's done so much for you, you had better get to work for God. Is how we can look at Christianity sometimes. You know, he showed mercy to you, so don't make him regret it. But that just doesn't line up with the overall picture of God's salvation in Scripture. And so what I want us to do today is unpack this idea that we're going to find in verse 1. This idea that it is shifting the source of salvation. That it is going to shift the ownership of salvation. Because if we somehow continue to think in our old ways, again, if we try to enter this married life and continue to act like a bachelor, you know, that we somehow are responsible for reconciling ourselves to God, then we will never experience a full shift and never experience what it means to be a true, true Christ follower and fully experience the grace, peace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. I want you to understand this. If you still think that you must do 1% of the work to reconcile to yourself to God, or even 0.01% of the work to reconcile yourself to God, we have not fully understood the salvation of Christ. Because you, if we think that we own any part of it, we will always feel that in some way we've earned it. And we cannot do anything to earn the grace of God, the mercy and forgiveness of God. It is not something for you to earn or deserve. It is something that is given freely to you. And that's what we're going to see in this verse one, that God is shifting this idea of who owns salvation, who owns the work of salvation. Look again at verse one. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is spiritual worship. So what I want us to do in this next is look at some shifts in our way of thinking and understanding who we are. And the first shift is found in the very first part when it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God. The first shift in thinking that Paul lays out for us here in Romans is this idea that when we view and embrace God as the full source of salvation, we will experience a shift in our identity and who we are. There are some key words that I want us to, to factor in here. This word appeal says, I appeal to you. Therefore, the word appeal literally means to draw close. He's saying, come close. There's something I want to tell you. Come as close as you can. He's appealing to them. It's like this idea when you see somebody across the room and you're like, come here, come here. And Paul is literally saying, 
Come close. I have something I want to share with you. The second word that I want us to understand deeper here is the idea of brothers. It says, I appeal to you, brothers. That word brother there, when we look at the true meaning of it, is this idea of this unbreakable bond. It's literally shared. The, the, they, didn't know how to, they didn't know about DNA in Bible times, but it's this idea of like, we have identity together, this unbreakable identity, shared DNA, shared life together. We are brothers and sisters. It's unbreakable. And then the third word I want us to understand a little bit better is this word mercy, the mercies of God. And what Paul is saying this word means is mercy is something that God has done for us. It's not deserved or earned. It's accepted, not, a, not something that we deserve. It's something we accept. We are made an heir. And so when we put these three words and three, these three thoughts together, here's what Paul is saying. He's like, come close. Listen intently, and I'm going to tell you something very important, something that will determine our next move, set our direction, and it starts with knowing that each of us are brothers and sisters in here, and we're brothers and sisters because of the work of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, look, come close, something important. I'm going to share this with you, but the very first thing we have to understand is that we are all in this together. It's this idea, if you you watch football, what do they do between every play? They huddle up, right? They get together, they close ranks, and they talk among themselves to set their next moves ahead. And that's literally what Paul is doing. He's saying, brothers, sisters, teammates, come together. There is a shift that we have got to understand. For too long, we have been thinking that we, are, we have done something to earn the mercy of God, but I want you to understand God's mercy is not earned. It is given. And that's the first thing he's laying out here is this idea we are family we find a new identity we're no longer individuals we are family this is an amazing fact none of us were born into this family we're all adopted chosen and we all have the same standing there are no birthrights here except through christ there are no bloodlines versus in-laws there's no oldest versus youngest we are all equal members of this family And I know for many of us, when we think about the word family, we have many different thoughts. Some of us think of our family in here, and it brings joy and excitement. For some of us, we think of our families, and it brings discontent in our hearts, and it brings hurt and pain. And maybe your family is distant or divided, and maybe there's conflict or hurt feelings that are unresolved. And while each of us may struggle with our own family at times, I want us to see this. God created within each of us a desire to belong to be known and have a people to call our own. And that's what he gives us through a shifting from moving from being outside of his family to in to his family. And it's provided for those who share the mercy of Christ, who come to this point where we realize it's not because of what I did. I'm not any better in God's eyes than anybody else. And then we come at this together. If you look around the room this morning, I want you to know this is a family. This is a family to me. I hope it's a family to you. Those who have come to the belief that I am in need of God's mercy and that mercy can only be experienced by willfully surrendering my life to Christ, we have a bond that is stronger than blood. We have a bond through the mercy of Christ. We are brothers and sisters through Christ and through his mercy. And what does a family do? If we're part of a family here, 
Here's what I think family does for one another. Family knows each other, don't they? I mean, I, I know things about my family that they would kill me if I shared with you this morning. Right? I mean, I could start a story and PJ would be turning my mic off. You know, he'd be like, you're not telling that story. I mean, we know each other. But what I love about that is even in knowing each other, knowing the depths of who we are, it's still accepted, it's still part of the family. And it's not that being part of the family that you're like everybody else. There's uniqueness. It's not that we all have to look the same, act the same, talk the same. We, there's uniqueness within the family. The family doesn't just know us, but the family also cares. Family cares. It's excited about what's happening in our lives. It's passionate about what you're passionate about. Even if it's maybe not what is my passion. I can get excited about what God's doing in your life, even if it's not what's happening in my life. I can share in your joys and share in your struggles, just as you can share in my joys and my struggles, because we're family. We care. But what does family ultimately do as well? Family loves. They love. They stand with you in grief and in triumph, and ultimately, they won't let go. I love that image of a huddle. I remember when I played peewee football growing up. Like, we didn't know how to, like, stand in a circle together. Like, we weren't that coordinated yet. So here's what we had to do. We had to literally, when we huddled up, we put our arms around each other's shoulders. So, like, that was our little circle, so we weren't having these big gaps. And, like, I literally think about that when I think about God's family. We are supporting one another. We're holding on to one another. Our love and our bonds that go deeper than blood are found in the mercy of God is where we're able to love each other in spite of our differences through tragedy and difficulty and celebrate with each other in triumph. We all, you think about your families, there are unique members of every family, aren't there? There's the odd uncles, right? I mean, if you can't think of who the odd uncle is, it may be you. You know, it's, we all think, like, I know who our odd uncle is. I mean, we, we all have these members. Of, and I think about our family, I think about it as a unit, but I love the idea that I, when I think about our family, I think about the uniqueness of each individual as well and what they bring to our family. When I think about our family or the New City Church family, I think about the uniqueness of each person and how God has brought us together to form this incredible family of God through us experiencing the mercy of Christ together. So I want us to understand this first shift is this shift of identity. We are now identified as a family of people. I'm not just a Christian. I am part of the Christ family. That's what the first part says. The second part of verse 1 says this. So he says, I urge you, brothers, through the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. So the second shift here goes back to what we really started with, this idea that when we embrace God as the full source of salvation, we will experience a shift in authority. That the authority, we come from viewing ourselves as self-righteous and understand the only one that is righteous is God. Again, there's key words here that we have to understand when he says to present yourself. It's literally that word as much as the word uh, appeal, when Paul is saying come together, the word present is now almost the opposite of that. He's saying now that we've come together, now we as a family should go and move as close to God as we can. Present yourself. We're literally offering ourselves is what that word meant. As a living sacrifice. 
That word living doesn't just mean that you're breathing and you're moving. That word living there actually means that you are full of life, that, that there's excitement. And the word sacrifice literally means submission. And so when you put those two together, those are two words that we don't often put together. That we're actually excited to be submitting. When's the last time you've been excited about submitting to something? Right? That's not typically our first reaction, but that's what God is saying here. When we understand the authority that we are presenting ourselves to is God and that he has given us limitless mercy, we become excited about submitting to him. And the last words there, holy, acceptable. And it's this idea that these are things that are pleasing to God and his pleasure is manifest in you. And so what Paul's saying here when he put all this together is this. Now we as a family should move close to God, as close to God as we can, so that as we do so, we disappear and all that is left is him, his glory, his presence, his love, his grace, his peace, and his forgiveness. And we do this as a family. We move together. We don't leave others behind. Remember, we're in this Together, we don't view ourselves as more important or more deserving than anybody. And what we realize as we move closer to God is this incredible fact that we're not just family, but we're forgiven. We are forgiven. That's an incredible shift in thought to understand the Christian life that we are forgiven people. This is where this verse really begins to make an impact in our understanding. Because for years, I was taught, when I would read this verse, you know, that I need to make myself holy and acceptable to God. That it's up to me to make this happen. I've got to work on myself first before I can go present myself to God. Like, I, gotta, I got things I got to shape up. And that boils down to works. Like, it's up, what am I doing at that point? I'm taking back ownership of salvation. I'm living like a married bachelor. Again, I'm not living it out. But this verse actually teaches something very different. And I want you to hear this. Our job is simply one thing, to present ourselves to God, not make ourselves presentable to God. Man, that's a huge shift in my life. And I think it's probably a huge shift for many of us because we think it's our job to make ourselves presentable to God so that God would love us more, so that we could experience more of God's grace, that if we can just get this right in our life, then maybe God will bless me more. And that's not what this verse says at all. What it says is actually the opposite, and I love this. The closer I move to God, the more I experience his forgiveness and his mercy, and I put myself away and I embrace him, then my life just naturally becomes holy. It naturally becomes acceptable to God. It's not my work. God's not saying, not yet, you're not clean enough yet, you haven't figured it out enough yet, you can't come in yet. He's literally saying, at your worst, come on in. Think about what the Bible says about this, because it says that we, we think we can make ourselves presentable to God, but there's a verse that says this, my righteousness, my works, are like filthy rags before God. That what I do God is so holy, so pure, that even at my, what I think I'm doing at my best, it doesn't even compare. And we can think, oh, that can be discouraging. Like, I can't, I can't do anything to please God. And I want you to understand, you're right. 
because God's already pleased with you. God already loves you as much as he ever will. He is not withholding his pleasure or his love or his grace from you at all. And it's this incredible shift of thinking. So how do we do this? How do we present ourselves to God? How do we actually move closer? The first is we've got to admit our brokenness. You and I are broken people in this room. As much as we are family in this room, we are also broken people. Nobody's perfect in here. Nobody's close to perfect in here. We all have areas we struggle with. If I started just throwing lists of sins and challenges in our life up on this screen and ask you to stand, you would be hesitant, I'm sure, to identify. But what you would find is this. You're not the only one. You're not the only one who deals with greed and materialism. You're not the only one who deals with anger. You're not the only one who deals with lust. You're not the only one that deals with hatred and bitterness and the ability to not be able to forgive other people. We all struggle in in those areas. So admit your brokenness, your blemishes, your weaknesses. But the second thing we got to do is we actually have to accept the forgiveness of God. Just because he offers it, we have to accept it. We have to be willing to say, I know I'm not worthy. I, I can't tell you how many people I've met in my life, in my years of teaching and pastoring, that tell me this. I don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve God's forgiveness. You don't know what I've done, and I don't. I don't. I don't know what you've done. I don't necessarily want to know what you've done. But I can tell you this. Whatever it is that it's coming to your mind right now, God knows it, and God's already forgiven it. It's not up to you to earn that forgiveness. It is bestowed upon you. We just have to accept it. And then we have to also embrace righteousness. Start to move. As we move toward God, it's embracing his righteousness and letting our self-righteousness go away. We stop thinking we know what is right, and we start believing that God knows what is right. So we have this shift in authority and understanding that we are forgiven. The last part of verse one says this, we do this because this is which all this is your spiritual worship. We have this last shift in our life for those of us who embrace God as the full source of salvation. It is the shift in philosophy and our understanding. And the key words here are spiritual and worship. Spiritual means a reflection from your innermost being, the core of who you're at your spiritual inside not like just churchy stuff it's like who you are internally and worship means an outward expression based on your core beliefs and so what he's saying is this as we do this as we have a shift in our understanding of of authority and our shift in understanding of identity we will eventually have this shift in philosophy that what changes on the inside will eventually impact what comes out on the outside and for most of us i would dare say we've been taught that christianity is a change of the external that can hopefully one day change the internal. And that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is instead following Christ, this change in the internal that works itself out as spiritual worship. Paul is saying, as we draw near to God and embrace his mercy, grace, and forgiveness, then those exact things will begin to be expressed in our life. That is spiritual worship. It's beginning to reflect God to others. We, we, don't, we don't draw people to God because of what we do. 
we draw people to God because of what God's done in us. And this brings us to this last idea that we are fruitful people. We're family, we're forgiven, but we also, as we follow Christ, we become fruitful. And fruit isn't how many people show up to church on Sunday. Fruit isn't how much money we collect and distribute. Fruit is when the qualities of Christ that we have experienced begin to be expressed in our life. And I'm going to be honest with you here for a couple of minutes. For many years of my Christian life, I'm sad to say that I viewed it more as a competition with other people than as a family. When I look back over my first years of even working in church and trying to pastor and lead people, I always said, how can I be more fruitful than them? How can I have a bigger church than them? How can I be more spiritual than them? How can I make myself more valuable to God than them? I was caught up in trying to impress God and impress others that I was making myself actually the center of attention. And it's sad to say I I was unwittingly presenting myself as the source of salvation to people. Look how good I am. Follow me, be like me, and God will like you too. What a fool I was. Because I have zero ability to provide salvation for you. I can't even provide salvation for myself. But that is a trap that is so easy that we, even as good things start happening, as we begin to see God reflecting things out in us, we just have this tendency to ease ourselves back into the center and try to make ourselves the focal point of salvation again. Any fruit that I produce of my own is like what I mentioned earlier. It's like filthy rags. There's no righteousness in it for me or anyone else. God has taught me over the past few years that it is not only the only fruit that will remain and have impact is produced through Christ, who will display his grace, peace, love, mercy, and forgiveness through me to others. This is a shift in how we worship. That we stop looking ourselves wanting to be worshipped and we start worshipping God completely. Let me close with this. How do, how do we worship God? How do we do this? How do we begin to experience this fruit? The first way we worship is we've got to remove idols. We have to remove idols in our life. Things that steal our passion, our focus, and set our priorities. And typically our number one idol is ourself. We're our number one idol. We want what's best for us above everything else. And we've got to remove idols. The second thing, you've got to stop and reflect on the grace and mercy of God that you've experienced. I know for me, when I start to build myself up and I become a self-righteous person, I forget that I was in need of grace and mercy. I forget my brokenness. And I think that somehow I've deserved the grace and mercy of God instead of it being willingly given to me and then finally the way that we really worship is to simply rest in God's presence and know that there is no better place to be than in the presence of our creator and the one who loves us more than anything in any other way that we can experience love that's how we worship it's simple remove idols focus back on that grace and mercy and rest in God's presence. So my question for you today is this. Have you really ever shifted your life? Christianity just been a label that you've worn? A tag that you've added? A, Hi, my name is Christian now. 
Has it just been a new set of rules that you followed? Or has it really been transformational and shifted who you are, whose you are, and what you're about? Are, are you part of a family? Would you stop keeping people at arm's length and experience God's mercy with us? Have you, have you experienced forgiveness? Would you stop trying to make yourself presentable to God and just present yourself to God? And finally, would you stop trying to be so impressed with yourself like I was for so long and instead be overwhelmed with God? Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I want us to close with just a focus time for us to do where we ended up with spiritual worship. To present ourselves as living sacrifices that are becoming holy and acceptable to God and beginning to reflect his grace and peace and mercy and love and forgiveness to other people. Would you just take a moment in the stillness of this moment, maybe for the first time, think about what it would mean to be a part of God's family. Or think about what it would be like to truly experience the forgiveness of God. Or truly begin to live a fruitful life by stopping to worship our idols or ourself and worship God. Let's just take a few moments and allow these truths and Spend some time talking to the Lord about this.